Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello, you're listening to Culture Call, a transatlantic conversation from the Financial Times. I'm Griselle Damari Brown in London. And I'm Lila Raptopoulos in New York. Coming up on today's episode... For some reason, I like to draw greed. I think greed is very, very funny. Like, it's the scariest feeling to me, maybe because I was such a good little girl who tried to never be greedy. I think stupidity is really funny. If you expected something and your expectation was foiled, that's a really silly place to be. And I like the facial expression that comes with it. Today's guest is the New Yorker cartoonist Liana Fink. Yeah, you may recognize Liana Fink. Um, Her work is all over The New Yorker. Um, She has this very simple, fast style of line drawings that kind of perfectly articulate the awkwardness of being human. She's just very good at that. Um, She also has a monthly New Yorker illustrated advice column from the point of view of her dog called Dear Pepper, which is excellent advice, actually. Um, As a testament to her ability to articulate the things that we feel but can't ourselves, she is extremely popular on Instagram. She has about half a million followers. Um, Ariana Grande got in touch with her because she really wanted her to illustrate her single that came out during quarantine with Justin Bieber called Stuck With You. Um, And honestly, most importantly, she's just a very original person with a very unique and delightful mind. And it was a pleasure to speak with her. Lila, I can't believe it's now our penultimate episode of the season. I know. There's a part of me that wants to say, like, it went by so fast, but, and it did go by so fast. And also there was a whole pandemic halfway through it. And so (laughs) then it went by slow. But um, yeah, it really, I can't, I kind of can't believe we've only got one more. Yeah, we have just one more episode. Um, And fairly shortly after that, I'll be going on maternity leave. So you know, that'll be fun. I'll just be like sipping cocktails in the sun and having a year off. (laughs) Lila, you'll have a bit of time to do some writing um, and plan for the next season without me, which I'm slightly heartbroken to think about. I know. My hope is that you're going to get very bored of your baby and start calling into the show (laughs) because (laughs) you'll have so much time on your hands to do some cultural research and you'll have a lot of things to tell us about what we should be watching. But I'm going to try not to think about it yet. Yes. No, we don't have to think about it yet. Anyway, (laughs) tell me, how are you? What have you been doing the last two weeks? Um, I'm pretty good, thank you. Uh, I don't know how everybody else is feeling, but I'm feeling slightly existential this week as um, it starts to become summer and uh, so many things feel like they've changed and they just keep changing. And and the time frame is, you know, I mean, it's just the not knowing wears on you. Um, Yeah. But I do have two very quick cultural suggestions. Grizz, last episode, you had gone on uh, a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a rant. I would. <laughs> you had a theory, basically, that we were being served a poor assortment of Netflix documentaries. 
Yeah, last week I went on a bit of a rant about um, particularly <laughs> Netflix documentaries and how extremely mediocre many of them are. But I think we both had the sense that actually we just don't really know what's out there on Netflix always because there's so much stuff and the algorithm chooses things for you and they're not always the best things. I, for example, are being served up constant baby documentaries, which are not good <laughs> and I should stop watching them. And yeah, and so you had the great idea of asking our listeners to recommend the stuff that is really good and that's maybe a bit like buried treasure on these streaming right. platforms and sort of compiling a list of all their recommendations. Yeah, so we've been getting a lot of really great stuff in. And one night I was in that very scenario of like, what should we do? Please no, please no, don't make me watch whatever the greatest homes of all time. <laughs> and uh, I looked at Twitter and we had a suggestion from Martha O'Neill uh, about a documentary called Three Identical Strangers. It's on Netflix and it's from 2018. And I, I had heard of it and forgotten. Mm. You probably the same, Grizz. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't seen it, but I remember a lot of people talking about it at the time. Yeah. It was uh, a whirlwind. Like, it really was a wild ride. It was extremely good. It was basically about triplets who were separated at birth, a true story. And then they found each other in college. And then they started to find out some darker things about how and why they were separated. And holy expletive, drama ensues. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. Also, you know, my siblings are twins. Oh, yeah. And I find those kind of dynamics really interesting. So triplets is a whole other level of fascinating to me. Yeah, you'll love it. At the end of the show, we'll share a couple more streaming recommendations from listeners. But that's my big one for this week. My other recommendation is a short video by Martin Wolf. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> kind of a big deal. <laughs> it feels like a joke. Like how many Martin Wolfs does it take to screw in a light bulb? Like none because his, his mind is so big that he just does it by osmosis. Anyway, bad joke. Martin Wolf is basically one of the premier economists in the world. He's also um, our chief economics commentator and uh, our colleague. And he's also an extremely kind person who, if you meet him, he'll ask you about your family and kind of cares to hear the answer. Mm. Anyway, Martin did a video last week where he talked through what he imagines will happen after the pandemic is over. And it really made me feel a lot better to hear it. I just felt taken care of <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it won't come as a surprise to listeners to know that I am not an economist. Are you not? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> strangely. Um, but I do find Martin's way of explaining the world so clear and so accessible. And I would really recommend reading his pieces on FT.com. Yeah, we'll put the video and a few pieces that um, we think are kind of the best explainers for this in the show notes. If you don't have an FT subscription and you want to read more stuff that's behind the paywall, um, you can sign up to this free uh, newsletter called the Coronavirus Business Newsletter. We've got a special link to that. FT.com culture call COVID. Yeah, that link gives you a free 30 day access to all of FT content. So you can get a full Martin Wolf back catalog. And uh, everything we mentioned, we also put in the show notes. As you know, we keep saying it. It's an Easter egg of excellent bonus content. Um, one of my favorite things about the show. And uh, that's it. Grizz, how are you? What's new? What can you recommend to us? Well, Lila, I mean, I guess like everyone, I've been noticing the seasons changing much more mm. than I ever have before. You know, I'm just kind of looking out the window at the garden and seeing the park every day. And yeah, I mean, London is in bloom. Spring is becoming summer. And in a way, it's sad because it's marking quite how much time we've been um, in quarantine. <laughs> right. But in another way, it's just uh, it's very simple and joyful, isn't it? Just it is. being outside in the summer. And 
I've discovered an app, which is also a website called Tree Talk, which is amazing. Uh, you enter your address and it maps out all the unusual trees in your area and designs a walk for you. Nice. Sadly, it actually only works in London, but I'd recommend it if you live here. Yeah. This is a really good way to mix things up and to sort of see your local area through a fresh lens and to learn some stuff about trees. That's a really good recommendation, actually. There are some apps that do that. In the U.S. here, there's one called LeafSnap. I'm sure in every area there's a different one. But I've been thinking about that, Grizz. Like, you kind of get used to the walk, and I think there are two things that can open it up for you. One is birds, and one is trees. (laughs) (laughs) It's like these are two things that normally sort of blur into the background, but if you learn a little bit of the language, if you can, like, learn the sounds or the views of birds or Mm. start to be able to identify the trees, then suddenly... Your walk opens up. There's like a lot more texture to your surroundings. Yeah, completely. And you just begin to appreciate what's literally on your doorstep. Yeah, and understand it. Um, Cool. What else? Um, So I have another recommendation, which is a great film that came out actually a couple of years ago now called 120 BPM. So like beats per minute. Mm. One of the things that we've been doing during the lockdown is catching up on films that we missed in the cinema over the last couple of years yeah um and 120 bpm is one of those is a french film it's set in paris in the early 1990s and it's about a branch of act up which is the aids activist group which started in new york mm. i think and it paints a really vivid picture of the gay scene in paris at that time as well as the wider culture mm. I mean, it's a great film, but it was also quite an interesting film to watch at this moment. And I hadn't really thought about this when we chose it, but it's about a small group of people fighting a pandemic and sort of trying desperately hard to raise awareness about it and coming up against a lot of hostility. And of course, the way that, you know, HIV victims then were stigmatized and the way that we think about COVID victims and patients now is very different. But there was something about the sense of fear and panic sweeping through a community that felt very poignant and it felt like a good time to watch this film if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, this is such an interesting comparison that I I keep hearing being made. Yeah. Of the AIDS pandemic to this pandemic and that like it just kind of came and no one knew why or how or... Yeah, exactly. That sounds really good. It's a great film. And you can watch it on Amazon Prime or, like me, you can rent it on places like YouTube or Google. Now for Liana Fink. Uh, Lila, can you say a bit about why you wanted to have her on the show? Sure. So Liana Fink is one of those famous cartoonists on Instagram. As I said at the top, she has about half a million followers and um, there's kind of a, a group of famous cartoonists and she's one of the most popular. They're very simple line drawings and um, they just sort of give a different and very relatable look at life, like about mm. dating, about living in a city, about being a woman, about being mad, <laughs> about <laughs> misogyny. She does a lot about that. She just notices things. Yeah, if you're not familiar with her work, I would really go and have a look at her Instagram. Go now while you're listening. Um, And the thing I also like about Liana Fink, and I think the thing I like most about her, is that she kind of can't help but be herself. Mm. She kind of 
beautifully articulates the awkwardness of being human. Um, yes. She's kind of good at, at pinpointing that stuff. Um, she also wrote a brilliant graphic memoir called Passing for Human that is all about that. <laughs> <laughs> and the way she sees the world inspires me to see the world a little bit differently. And especially right now, I feel like this clearance is a chance to be creative, but sometimes it's hard to know how to tap into that. And I just felt like this conversation with Liana was a perspective that I needed. And I hope listeners feel that way. Yeah, I completely agree. I have the same feeling. The other thing I will say before we start is that we are both recording from home. So she drops a lot of stuff through the interview. (laughs) (laughs) And my internet doesn't stretch across my house very well. So I had relocated into my living room coat closet and you will be able to tell. Oh, it's going to be so nice to go back into a real life studio again. I know. What a luxury. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you so much for being on Culture Call. Thanks for having me. I'm going to I'm going to be listening to this podcast now. I really love the beginnings of what I've heard. Thank you. I told you when I wrote you, but I've been such a fan of your work. And especially right now, it feels kind of like nice to have other people looking in different directions at this very weird period of quarantine. Thank you. Yeah, it is so weird. It's so hard to understand. We should probably start here. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, like there's been grief and that's been bad but on like the the granular level, I'm doing really well. I, I I'm an introvert who tries very 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 hard to be an extrovert. Like I travel nonstop. I'm always doing meetings. I'm always seeing mm. people. And I was traveling away from New York pretty much nonstop this past year, and I wasn't able to really be myself and do my work. And so it's been kind of amazing for me to get to just stay home and draw and. I'm realizing that I actually love it and I don't need to fight it so hard. You had a list in The New Yorker recently of things you don't actually miss. And it included like haircuts and the fear of passing up a chance to network. Yeah. (laughs) And being on like a very different page from others when it comes to personal space. Yeah. I know I still feel like I'm on a different page from others when it comes to personal space. But at least now I know I'm right. (laughs) Like before, if someone would walk within six feet of me, which happened like twice a second because I live in New York, I felt like a crazy person. But now I'm just trying to not get everyone sick. I'm curious about how your creative process has changed in this period. Maybe you can talk a little about what your life as a cartoonist is like, like what your day used to look like and what it looks like now. My day used to be very strange and secretive. I was... (laughs) <laughs> like someone in an in an alone profession who likes not talk and stuff, but who is also very mm. scared of being alone. So I have a nice apartment that I arranged to try to lure myself to be home more, but it didn't work. <laughs> and so I spent most of my time like riding the subway and in cafes. And I love the Long Island Railroad. I would take that. I'd go to museums whenever I think they're not going to be crowded, which is a mm. weird haunting that I do, um, (laughs) mostly like when they're open at night. So I spent a lot of my time kind of in transit. I love, sometimes I would even work in subway stations and I would often hide where I was from other people, either out of shame or from privacy. And Mm. I think now my life looks a lot more how a real um, cartoonist's life looks. I just sit, I'm at my desk, I look out the window. How do you, why do you say out of shame? 
I think I feel ashamed that I'm afraid of being alone. I think it's some kind of mental block or something and I'm embarrassed about it. Mm, I felt similarly before this started, this sort of fear of being alone. It might be a New York fear. It might be like a fear of living in a false bubble of privacy in a very public city. Right. Is it osmosis where like a cell wants to have as many molecules inside as there are outside of it? And you feel that way about New New Yorkers specifically? Yeah, like your apartment is the cell and you're like this one unit in this like strangely empty cell, but outside the cell there is so much going on and it's not right. Yeah. In the beginning, I had this false assumption that if you're not going to be in the world of New York and New York isn't on the way it usually is, then you could really be anywhere and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And that actually you get stuck in your apartment. And then actually over time, I've started to feel that that's not true. I mean, if I was in the countryside, it would be extremely different. And there is something about being in New York that still feels like I'm going through something. Yeah. With people. Like we're still in this together. I'm curious. Do you feel that way? I feel so not, not lonely. I wonder if if this would be a lonelier experience somewhere else. In a lot of your cartoons, I like the way that you use space. One of the cartoons I really like has these three circles that are things you can tell parents, things you can tell your boyfriend, things you can tell the public. Yeah. And they're in these overlapping Venn diagram circles, but the three never fully overlap in no. that like, there's nothing you can really <laughs> disclose to all three there's groups. nothing, yeah. And it gets even harder when you're trying to write about one of the groups. disclosing is hard Um, and you also do a lot of iterations on like trying to visualize the difference between me you and us yeah like you plot them on lines or you plot them in circles next to each other or you know near each other or far away what I'm was curious I'm curious about if you could talk a little about that I think that's about relationships I wasn't great at being in a family unit I think because I I don't like to talk all day nonstop. And I think I really need decompressing time, although I don't really need exactly alone time, just like not being talked to time. And I live with someone once, but hardly. And I'm more serious with my boyfriend now. And I'm of an age to be really thinking about the future and maybe having a kid or kids and Mm. staying with him for longer. and, And like, what does it mean to be part of a group and is the entity that you make when the two of you are together, does that actually contain both of you or is it another thing that you need to kind of protect yourself from if you want to keep yourself? Is there a self? So that's what, that's what I'm thinking about. How do you feel about that? In journalism, I feel like people like to come down in one place about how they feel about something and maybe that's not the case, but do you feel like you have some sense of where us fits What feels most right to you? I feel I'll never feel easy about it. I don't think I feel easy about being a human. Mm. I think there's so much we require of ourselves and each other that seems so bizarre to me. I'm sure I would feel that as an animal also. Um, Can I ask, there's things that different people require of you. What do you mean by that? A lot of the ways that society functions that people just do like whether they like it or not it's fine for them I think for me it feels like torture I'm listening to Jane Austen on tape now so like 
I'm listening to Emma and she has to go visit the Miss Bateses and she doesn't want to. They're these like very well-meaning but very annoying women who live in her neighborhood and they're poor. So everyone is very nice to them and stops by to show them that they respect them. And Emma admits that she doesn't really want to visit these women. So I feel like that all the time, like going to school felt like torture for me, like sitting there all day. Holidays often feel like torture, just like preparing the food, going (laughs) to the place, sitting like doing this thing that I don't feel like anyone really likes it. And I feel like (laughs) it's so weird that you're with people you love and yet you're not really, none of you are really connecting. You're just doing this kind of formal dance that you're not feeling in your heart. Like that just, it just shocks me. And like polite conversation kind of shocks me when when you're not feeling it and stuff like that. I always, on holidays, feel like I'm the last one awake with whoever is awake, like talking to my mother or talking to whoever and just trying to get to the point of connection, like trying to get to the end of the night where everybody's just honest with each other and gossiping or or being earnest or connecting in some way that nobody has the whole day. You're waiting it out. And then when it works, you're like, oh, holidays really are good. But can't you just get to that good place without all of the other stuff. I think other people don't feel this way. I think a lot of people kind of like the other stuff and I'm not sure why. I'm kind of curious about like how you notice things, like when you notice them and the feeling of getting the observation from your head onto a page. Do you notice the thing when you're doing it and then it comes out or does it come out? Do you just start drawing and then it comes out there? Like how do your observations become cartoons or drawings? For for my New Yorker cartoons, I would take a whole day to think of ideas and they wouldn't quite be from my life. They would be kind of from distancing from my life. Although now I don't, I'm not able to take a day to think because I can't think in my own house. I can only think on a train. So I've been coming up with ideas while I draw and that's, that's also very different. How are they, how are they different? Like they used to be really like on the absurdist scale, like often they would be about something I saw out the window on the train and just kind of making myself think of something clever about that thing. Like I would look at power lines and think, what what is there about power lines? And if something made me smile, that, that was my litmus test. Do you feel like um, the stuff that you're coming up with is related often to this quarantine experience or no? I don't know. I feel... Like there was only so much to say about my own quarantine experience and I've said it already. And I think I have this fear that I'll get it wrong. Like it's a test and everyone knows the Mm. right answer. And that if I talk about it, they'll see that I don't get it. I think it's, I think it's something like shyness, but yeah, not enough. I wish more, but it's not really coming. I feel like now is sort of like the ideal time to have a crisis of confidence (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because like we just don't have the normal in-person feedback loops that we usually do. Yeah. Um, And like socializing on Zoom is like truly torturous. Zoom (laughs) is horrible. It's horrible. The worst part is that the loudest voice is the one who gets to talk. Yeah, that's so true. People talk about like gaining or finding confidence. I guess I wonder whether like that is being tested right now. But I find you to be an extremely confident person. I, you self-identify as as shy or formerly shy, but you also are, seem very confident. And I'm curious, like, 
where you think confidence comes from or, or where it comes from for you and also just whether that you feel that's also being tested by this time? Ooh, I don't know. I feel confidence when I'm getting positive reinforcement and I feel very not confident when I'm not like second guessing everything. I think I'm so self-conscious that it's not a help to me to be self-conscious and I need to kind of short circuit that. That's why I draw so fast. If I drew slower, I would I would be invested in the drawing being nice and then I would never let it out because it would never be nice enough. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I, I've been like thinking about that a lot. And um, what draws me to you and your work is that you seem like you're so fully yourself everywhere. I mean, like you can't not be yourself. Like I, I admire that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't feel that on the inside. I feel like I tra- I change drastically from depending on who I'm talking to. But I think that's just how I feel on the inside. And mm. no one can see it, which is very strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think that like a lot of your work speaks to the forces that keep us from being like 100% ourselves. I'm thinking also, especially in your memoir about that, the character of the shadow, you wrote a memoir where um, you can probably explain it better. But No, um, I wish I could. I can't. I've tried. <laughs> That's like the first sign a book's not going to sell super well is if you can't describe <laughs> it and you're the author. The, the, I mean, oh, if I could describe it. I mean, the shadow is something that, that women have that encourages them to be who they are outside yeah. of the boundaries of what society wants them to be. Yes, a living shadow. And that according to the book, most women lose or have lost their shadow as they grow up. And it's about, the book is about my battle to try to keep my shadow and then um, yeah, spoiler alert, I realized that my shadow is a very weird, scary shadow who makes me <laughs> not able to fit into to society. So I drive her away. And then it's about regret, regretting that. Yeah, you said in the memoir and, and elsewhere that you didn't feel like you fit in fully growing up. Was there a point where you feel like you did? Or did you sort of give up on the idea that any of us fit in? <laughs> I started feeling like I fit in when I was 23 or so. I had a Fulbright to go to Belgium and I felt comfortable with those people. And it was such a new experience for me. This was the first time I'd felt comfortable with friends. Mm. Um, I liked my friends when I was really young. I didn't have a lot of friends, but I liked the ones I had. But then something happened pretty, pretty young. I just stopped feeling like I had anything in common with my friends and I went to a small Jewish school in a suburb and I didn't live in the suburb. I lived in the country. Being in school was really hard for me. It was just too much going on. And I, w- I was shy. I was so shy that I would forget words all the time. And it was hard for me to have a conversation. So being in a country where I didn't speak the language, that was okay. Like there was no shame associated with that. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what's good for shy people in living somewhere else, I think. So that was good. Also, like getting a grant is a sign of success. And I think I needed the confidence. It was it was really nice to have that nice thing and feel like I wasn't a, a weight on society for a second. Yeah. Now that you have such a following, what does that f- feel like? How do you feel about fame? What's your relationship to it, especially considering the loneliness that you felt growing up? Well, well, first of all, I don't feel famous, but I do feel, I feel like 
somewhat successful or like me, like I feel, I don't feel shame, I guess. So the lack of shame is Mm. so nice. And of course I still sometimes feel shame. Like if I don't, when I don't sell cartoons for a while, I feel like I'm going to lose my apartment and stuff. And and that's a very familiar terror. Um, But it's not, it doesn't like, it's not like a blanket that I'm just living with all the time. And that's so, that just feels so right. And like, I'm not carrying around this weight anymore. Mm. Um, Having strangers like my work is really nice because I feel so much more comfortable around strangers than around people I know. I don't, I don't like Mm. when people I know see my work. Like a person likes, oh my God, I keep dropping things. I'm so sorry. Yes, yeah, so that's good. No problem. My feet are entirely asleep, so we're all we all have, we all have our own <laughs> obstacles right now. Um, yes, yeah, so the the thing I don't like about it is that when a stranger writes me an email or something, either a mean email or like an email that assume presumes that they know me when they don't know me, it really freaks me out, and I'll never get used to that. One thing I'm wondering is um, I'm finding that a lot of people feel that they have a little bit more space to be creative now than they used to. And yet it's sort of hard to access if you're not used to accessing it. Like one of my favorite cartoons of yours is you have these lists of um, unpopular things you like and popular things that you dislike. And the popular things you dislike were like TV and sitting on the beach and learning for fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the unpopular things you like are like cleaning and rats, which actually I'm curious about. Do you like rats? No, I'm just curious about what. <laughs> I, just I, I kind them. of like New York rats because yeah. they have a personality that um, I think is like a very integral part of our city. I've never been, I've never touched a rat. So full disclosure, <laughs> I don't know if I would like rats if a rat came and walked on me in my sleep or something. There's something so nice about living in, in a place that's for humans, but with animals in it. Right. In the city, like we can be out whenever we want. We could walk all over. And then if we see a rat, it's amazing. It's like nature got in after all. And it's so exotic. <laughs> yeah. Cool. How do you feel about the birds in New York? So good, especially lately. I've been putting bird seed on my window and like <laughs> just like looking oh, to my left and like seeing a bird all the time. And it's so funny. Uh, love pigeons. Love pigeons. What do you love about pigeons? Partly that they're gentle and it's partly that they're not gentle. It's confusing. Pigeons are this great mix, kind of like people, but a little bit better, like a little bit more gentle, I think. And they fly and seeing them in a flock is so beautiful. I've been actually seeing them less lately in quarantine. I wonder I wonder why. Maybe they've taken over Times Square. I hope so. I miss <laughs> them. <laughs> do you like do you like pigeons? I think they're okay. I I just, I've had like so many like one-offs with pigeons, you know, they're just, they're so comfortable with humans that yeah. it, like, that's very upsetting. <laughs> but it's interesting to hear you say there's something about them that's like humans. Yeah, they take advantage of the city and they get it. <laughs> they also enjoy living in squalor like us. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, part of why I brought up that list is because when I saw it, I screenshotted it and I thought, okay, I got to make my list. Like, what are my unpopular likes and popular dislikes? And I just, 
I felt very sad because I couldn't get into the headspace to do it. I just couldn't think of anything. And I'm like thinking about all the other people that are like me who are sitting in their houses, like with this freedom to be creative or to like yeah. to let their brain and free associate and just like not being used to it. I know that feeling so well. There, yeah. I think there's so many different ways of being creative and it's very hard to start a new way. Yeah. And what do you do? What What can people do? I don't know. Like I'm trying to write and it's very hard because you don't know when you're doing it right and when you're not. I think it's really nice to have feedback and until you're at a point where you feel allowed to get feedback, it just feels weird. Also, I think it's good to like list why it's hard. And a lot of that isn't Mm. your own lack of creativity. A lot of that is that you're not plugged into the infrastructure to feel like it's a useful thing for you to be doing. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's hard to do because it would be kind of out of character for you to post that on social media? And so you wouldn't. And so no one will see it. And so why are you doing it? Like, that's not about you. Yeah. And then and then you're free to do it. What is your favorite thing to draw right now? That's a really good question. I've been drawing a lot of like people scenes. I think it's easier for me to draw interpersonal scenes now that I'm not having them because I think whenever I draw New Yorker cartoons, if I'm drawing like a cocktail party or something, my main thought is that like, this would be really scary. (laughs) Like why, why am I focusing on the witty conversation these people are having when there's like a guy elbowing his way through the room over there. Like that's what would have my attention. But now that I'm, that I'm distanced from that terror, I can focus more easily on like the, this imaginary cocktail party. I am working on a book, but I don't know if that's my favorite thing to draw right now. Mm. I think I'm liking drawing characters and like silly facial expressions on them even more than usual. That's the nuts and bolts of what I actually like to draw. Why? I like emotion. I feel very attuned to emotions. And I think facial expressions are the best way to depict emotion and to explore it. Um, And also it's the funniest thing and the most relatable thing to me. If I'm drawing like a landscape, it feels like busy work because it's not interesting to me. And I can't imagine that it's interesting to anyone else. What's the hardest facial expression to depict? (laughs) Um... A man, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Like those scenes where you have like the man at the desk interviewing another man. Like, what is that? What's supposed to be on his face? I don't, I've never had that feeling (laughs) or that hairstyle. So like, how can I, how can I draw it if I can't feel it? (laughs) And what comes most like easily or what what are the ones that like you like exploring the types of expressions (laughs) that you like? For some reason, I like to draw greed. I think greed is very, very funny. Like it's the scariest feeling to me, maybe because I was such a good little girl who tried to never be greedy. And also like confusion is really funny and disappointment is really funny. Why is it funny? I think stupidity is really funny. Like if you had, if you expected something and your expectation was foiled, that's a really silly place to be. In. Yeah. And I like the facial expression that comes with it. I don't know if you feel this way, but in children, 
my sisters have children and their facial expressions are so, <laughs> so like the purity of the yeah. feeling is, you know, it's such like a, it, it's the, it's the most pure version of disappointed or angry <laughs> or sad or whatever. They're like cartoon versions. It's not complicated by more. I know. I miss, I miss just being a person instead of a person under all these layers. I've been trying so hard to socialize myself. I don't know what the gain it has been. I don't know if there is any gain. Yeah. So what do we do? <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe there is gain. I don't know if there, if it's bad. Yeah. There's a part of me that wouldn't mind getting rid of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Same. I just don't know how. <laughs> I know. I think we need like one person to do it as the test experiment and see <laughs> whether they survive. Yeah. And if they do, more of us can try it. Yeah, that would be like a terrible Netflix reality yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> Just like someone starting to like cry in public and stuff. Yeah. What are you working on now? I mean, you said that you were working on a book. What is your book about? The book is about, it's called Let There Be Light. It is the book of Genesis, although from a slightly Jewish perspective, told with the female God, who's this like childlike creature. I'm treating it as a series of stories because the book of Genesis is a series of stories, each about mm -hmm. like a kind of boring male protagonist. What interests you about um, biblical stories, rewriting them? I grew up in a Jewish world. Like I went to Hebrew day school and my family was relatively observant. And so it's my culture, but it's so, it's so male. I, I do feel strongly angrily feminist, but also sometimes I use it as a metaphor. So I'll say I don't, I, I can't belong to a religion that doesn't allow women in, but I don't think that's the whole truth. I think part of it is just that I think maybe communities kind of bore me. Um, so I have like such a strong love of it. And also I've never quite found my place in it, in Judaism. So I think this is my way of finding my place in it. So you can kind of rewrite the aversion that feels like you can stand behind it or yeah. more true to you? Yeah, I want to describe my own God. Like if this were the God, then this would then I would be happy in this religion. But <laughs> if it's not, then, I, then I'll always have kind of a push-pull with it. It feels sort of empowering to feel entitled to rewrite the Old Testament. <laughs> no, it's a thing. It's a trope comics artists doing the Old Testament but so far, I feel like it's been a lot of men doing it. Mm. And at least the R. Crumb one is so literal. It's like, why Like, why did you need to just make it more literal? It's already pretty literal. <laughs> yeah. When I read it, it feels more like reading this ancient, wonderful epic, like the Epic of Gilgamesh or something. And I wanted to bring that out in it. But mm. yeah, I kind of wanted to join a bandwagon. And I wouldn't, I would never have presumed to do it, my editor asked me if I would want to do it. And I thought if he didn't think it was an unoriginal idea, then I shouldn't care either. Did you change the messages of some of the stories? Yeah, I'm not changing a lot of characters, but I am making God the focal point. I want the, I want the men in the stories just to be kind of pawns in God's story. Like I wanted to be yeah. someone who's like me, who's kind of watching these self-satisfied dudes like by land and stuff. Mm. So are you God? Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, so I have two last very short questions for you. Um, one is I would be remiss not to ask about um, your your collaboration with Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber. <laughs> um, it seems like Ariana Grande slid into your DMs specifically to illustrate a single that she came out with with Justin Bieber called Stuck on You. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about that? She just slid into my DMs. That's it. Um, <laughs> she was very nice. She asked me to illustrate the cover. I didn't talk to Justin Bieber at all. I didn't know he was going to be involved in the project until a little later. But yeah, it made my day. I was trying to not feel shy around her, but at the same time to not be annoying to her, which is kind of a <laughs> paradox. And I hope she's doing good. She's awesome. Yeah. I like the song a lot. Yeah, I like this. I like the song and the video. It's so cute. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not good at working for client. I think I'm I'm too diffident in a way. So I just draw what I think people are asking me to draw. And I, <laughs> I just did it. I wish I could have given them the world, but I did what I could. <laughs> um, my last thing is just a lot of our listeners are writing in to give kind of cultural recommendations or just talk about what they've been reading or watching. Do you have any recommendations for people who aren't used to reading graphic novels or where would you start? Okay, start with... yeah. Um, pretty much anything by Gabrielle Bell. I loved a book by her that came out recently called Everything is Flammable. And Roz Chast's book, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant, came out maybe <laughs> 10 years ago. And it's a tour de force. It's so good. It's like, it's about taking care of her older parents and watching them get sicker and die. And I love a series of books about a character named Wendy by Walter Scott. It's like, so he gets all these, all the facial expressions, right? It's about the art world. It's so mean and smart and <laughs> like so good. I love mean art about the art world. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. It's so rare to have a comics artist who's also actively in the art world. Most of us like fled the art world, like me. He's like our insider our inside spy. Liana, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, it was so nice to like get out of the pandemic for a minute, <laughs> you know, both be able to explore it and be able to escape it. So thank you. I hope you're safe in that closet. Thank you. I think I'll be okay. It seems like the safest place to be. <laughs> Lila, I loved that interview. It was um, it was a real pleasure to listen to. Liana Fink is so brilliant. Um, yeah, I her love for rats and pigeons and the way that she said they get it about sort of how to live in a city. Um, I know they do. Was one of many moments. It's the thing about everything she says. You're like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's um, it's always interesting hearing an artist sort of speak about how they work and how they sometimes have to get out of their own head. Yeah. Um, she was talking about the fact that she feels like she's a self-conscious person. And one of the reasons that she draws so fast is because that short circuits her self-consciousness. Mm. Um, and it made me think that actually when you're doing something creative and you're really laboring over it, um, you can get so precious about it and it really makes the yeah. thing itself worse and I liked that 
her answer to that is just speed, like just keep moving yeah, forward. I totally agree. And there's so much amazing work that's hidden behind people who don't feel like it deserves to be seen or people who don't feel like it's good enough yet. And I also liked the point that she was making about like all of us deserving to feel entitled for our work to be seen and that the people who feel less entitled, maybe it's even more important that that work gets seen. Yeah, because she captures so well that feeling of feeling quiet or feeling weird or feeling out of place. Mm. Um, And I think when you go on her Instagram, that's kind of the theme really is that kind Mm -hmm. of um, you know, awkwardness is almost like it's more profound than awkwardness in a way. It's like a feeling of dislocation, ultimately, yeah. which, you know, is sometimes quite a hard thing to talk about as an adult. Lots of children's stories are about being the odd one out or, you know, yeah. not quite fitting in at school. But it strikes me that right now that's a really big common feeling that, you know, socializing and communicating with people has never felt more awkward and yeah. more sort of jolty. And, you know, I loved when she said on Zoom that, you know, the loudest voice is the one that gets to talk. It <laughs> feels true. like some kind of awful party where some some person is just booming at you and you can't get a word in. Yeah, it really does. I think what she does so well is feeling. Mm. You know, she said she's not interested in landscape, that she draws emotion. And at one point she asked, how can I draw it if I can't feel it? which I thought is really true of her whole project, really. She, she's a unique mind that um, can allow herself into some place of creativity that simplifies a complex world yeah, or, or maps it in a different two-dimensional way that makes us see it better and clearer. And, uh, and it just, that just feels good. That's almost it for this week. Before we go, here are a few listener recommendations from streaming platforms of things to watch. Victoria Amico, who I think is based in London, wrote to us with tons of great recommendations, including 13th, which is, of course, Ava DuVernay's powerful documentary, which Victoria says will leave you feeling both informed and outraged. The film has academics and activists and politicians taking you through the legacy of slavery and how that feeds into America's justice system. She also recommended The Great Hack, which is about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, And she says, warning, the documentary will feed into the Remain-Leave-Trump-Hillary divide. So if this is a touchy subject in your household, you may want to watch it alone in order to sustain lockdown harmony. So that's also a good (laughs) caveat for that one. Kana Kamagai from Tokyo suggested Never Have I Ever on Netflix, which I am also watching. It's Mindy Kaling's show, and the first episode's a little silly, but it's very Mindy Kaling, and it just gets better and better. Um, It deals with grief in a very thoughtful, excellent way. She also recommends Tiger Tail, which is a film from Alan Yang, the co-creator of Master of None. It's a family drama about a man who moves from Taiwan to the U.S. based on his personal history. That's just a taste. Many more to come. We are still collecting, so keep sharing at culturecall.ft.com or anywhere else that you can reach us, and we will have a big list for you next episode. Stay tuned. Thank you, as always, for listening. You know we love hearing from you. Of course, you can always find us on Twitter at FT Culture Call or on Instagram at Lila Rapp and at Griselda Murray Brown. There's also a short form you can fill out, which is Lila's favorite at ft.com slash culture callout. 
If you like what you hear, the best way you can help the show is to share this with your friends. Uh, you can share it on your Instagram stories and tag us, which we love. That really helps the show. You can also leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which is one of the main ways that new listeners discover the show. We will both be back in two weeks' time for our season finale. In which I will be speaking to the photographer Tyler Mitchell, who shot to fame at just 23 when he took Beyonce's picture for the cover of Vogue. I'm going to be asking him how he does his job right now, as well as what it's like to find success so young, and something I'm really interested in, the dynamic between the artist making the portrait and the subject. We've been Lila Raptopoulos and Griselda Murray-Brown. Culture Call is produced by Lena Prestwood. And our music is composed by Fatum. I just got stuck in the closet. Oh my God. I wonder if my roommates will let me out. Uh, where are my roommates?